Hello, friends. This is Marsha Epstein with Talk With Me in Lawrence, Kansas. And we are recording on the first day of December of 2017, which to me seems somewhat unbelievable that this is the date on the calendar. But then if I think about what this year has been like in the world, I think, yeah, it's very possible that 11 months have passed. Wow. It's a beautiful day here. I want to say that the world is a messy place and it's a beautiful day here with blue, blue skies. My sweet beau sleeping on the couch right now. He'll wander in a little bit. Who knows? And I get to have a conversation that feels just like sitting around the dining room table with a friend. Today, my guest is one of those people who I've gotten to talk to before. And I always have to give a couple of shout outs when I think about how I connected with this person. So I think I better start with John Yamras in Pennsylvania. He's an amazing person and poet. And when we connected, however that happened, he said, hey, hey, you need to do this thing with my friend and publisher, Wolfgang Karstens of Epic Rights Press. And so from John to Wolfgang Karstens first, hey guys. And in that conversation, that first one with Wolfgang Karstens, he said, hey, you need to do a show with Rob Platt. And that happened. So I'm giving a huge thanks both to John Yamras and to Wolfgang Karstens for introducing me to Rob Platt, who is my guest today. Hey, Rob, welcome. Hi. Hey, Marsha. It's great to be back. And thanks, uh, John and Wolf, for that. Yeah. And now I have to add, since talking to the three of you, another very special person who's been a guest on the show, who's a great friend and collaborator of the three of you, is, of course, the Swedish madman, Jana Carlson. Hey, Jana, I hope you're listening. <laughs> and we can't leave out that crazy man. <laughs> And I know I'm offending other people by not listing them all, but I think of you four as this special core group. So there you go. Hey, Rob, for people who haven't met you, who don't know your work somehow yet, give us just a little background about you, who you are. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, today I was thinking before you, we, we got on the air, I, I was thinking... Um, there, there's a little story uh, that I can tell that um, that might uh, help people actually or something or inspire them. But when I was younger, uh, in my early 20s, I, I was writing a lot and sending stuff out and getting rejected. And I used to look at the poets market a lot that comes out every year. And it has, I forget how many, uh, you know, over 1,200 or 1,000 magazines listed in there and they give little you know descriptions of each magazine and what they they're looking for so so you can get a idea about you know where to send and not send blindly and uh i used to read it all the time just go through it and i kept seeing this guy they said we want a lot of magazines said we we're looking for stuff like this and they listed this guy named Charles Bukowski 
Mm-hmm. And of course, everyone knows him. Uh, but I didn't know him at the time. I was younger. I think it was probably in the 91 or something. Uh, he's pro- he was probably, uh, he died in 94, I think. So he, I thought it was a young guy, too, when I read his work, because he had this young energy to his work. And he just, I didn't know it was, you know, uh, this older guy. A lot of the poems that they were um, using excerpts from were some of his older, you know, from his older self. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got so jealous. I said, oh, look, this guy's in everything. Like, all these magazines want to publish this guy. And uh, and and um, I, I kept sending stuff out and sending stuff out. And year after year, I would I got more acceptances. And one day, I looked in the poet's market and one of my favorite magazines, uh, which is still around today and I still publish in, is an amazing little uh, magazine from Austin, Texas called Nerve Cowboy. And they said, we're looking for stuff like this. And they listed, I didn't know, they listed my name and part of my excerpt from a, a, a excerpt from my poem. Cool. And I, and I was so... I didn't even know, you know, I was looking through it. I was expecting to see someone, you know, and I, and I thought back to seeing Bukowski, Bukowski over and over. And then I saw that and, um, but it took so long. It took, uh, 12 years or, or more to, to finally get to that point, maybe even 15 years. I didn't get my first check. They actually, I, they invited me to join a, contest it was a chat book contest they ran every year i'm not sure if they still do that but uh they said oh you should you know you you had so much stuff in here you should send it in and i sent it in and i won and i think i was 30 33 at the time when when i got my first little book out which was 54 pages about or whatever it was so uh it took me a long time you know some people are expect it to happen immediately when they're younger but uh for me at least it it it, it was a long process and you just got to keep fighting and mm-hmm. uh and that's and that's how it happened with me and then ever since i i've been doing that you know over and over you know and i and i didn't um rest on any kind of minor laurels that i might have gotten you know i kept putting out book chat book after chat book and of course, then Wolf approached me after reading the seven chat books that I had out. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was probably almost 40 when he, I think I was around, yeah, it probably was close to 40 when I, f- I finally got my full length collection, first full length out. And I have, I owe it all to him, you know. Uh, well, of course, all the, the other presses that did this, the, you know, the chat books, but uh-huh. that, that, that was, um, that accumulated over the years. It took 20 years to get my first full length collection out. And, uh-huh. um, and so as that, I've heard Wolf say, that book, Belly Full of Anarchy, is the first book published by Evan Wright's Press. So that's also very cool. Yeah, I am flattered that he found me and um, uh, I owe a lot to him. and. Um, He's been a, a great, a great friend ever since, you know, and um, I, I just want to thank him and of, of, uh, 
and I don't know. I, I'm forever grateful to him. Uh, so, as you're saying, it can take a while to get published. It can take a while for people to recognize your work, and you got to keep at it. And yeah, how, how young were you when you first started writing that you considered really? Yeah, this is this is me really writing as opposed to just you know whatever messing around. Uh, I remember I got angry once. Uh, this this teacher I had, he said something, and I just it was true. And sometimes when someone gives you the truth, you you and 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 it's not something you want to hear, or you you're not doing something that is amount is heading towards a you know the truth. It, it it could make you angry at the same time, but enlighten you. And I remember he, I I walked in his office. He was this crazy, wild teacher, and he said, "Do you write every day?" And I said, I, I said, "No, I I I don't write every day. I don't have time." And 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 he said, "Well, I I don't know if it was his quote or he was quoting someone else, but he said, if you write every day, if you don't no, if you write every day." you might become a great writer. If you don't write every day, you'll never become a great writer. Ooh. Right? I was like, it. he kind of punched me in my gut, like with that, because he, because I already had admitted that I don't write every day, you know? And, uh, and I, I said, Oh my God. And I left and I, I said, what am I going to do? I don't have the motivation to write every day. I want to write, but it's just, it's not in my routine. It wasn't built in then. And it, it wasn't until I was probably around in my mid-30s until I, I just, all of a sudden, something exploded. And I started writing five to ten poems a day at, at, for, for a long time. And that's when things really started happening for me. So, mm -hmm. you know, uh, so I owe that to that, that person, too. <laughs> cool. Interesting. Uh, and and it's an interesting thing though that that whole whole is it a mandate that you must write every day? I've heard a lot of people whose work I really uh, really love say that they don't write every day. They do something related to their writing almost every day. You know, so it might be preparing things that they're going to submit to whatever journal. You know, but but. Uh, it doesn't have to be every day to have your work become even better and better known and maybe even earn some money, you know, but it, but it was, it's an interesting thing how that work is kind of a challenge to you. What do I do about this? That's yeah, cool. big challenge. And, and the more it was, it, it made me be able to submit more and have more chances and, you know, but then I then I wound up not writing as much, of course, and uh, like you said, it doesn't have to be every day. But for a while, I was I was intensely working a lot, and and it and it made it easier to 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 um, keep the habit, though, even if it's not every day. You know, but mm -hmm. it, it might be, you know, not as frequently, but it was it it kept me. Um, where it just kept me working a lot though you know it was a good mm -hmm. it was like boot camp i guess you know and 
When you share your poetry on social media, sometimes the look of it is that you literally are using an old manual typewriter. Is that right? Uh, no. Uh, okay. Well, that that might be for the um, for the, the that project I started uh -huh. here. Uh, I started writing on the backs of these toe tags that I uh -huh. that I bought, and um, and I had this thrift store typewriter, and I bought it because it was cheap and it and it was in really good condition and I just liked it and I but but then when I got it home for two years I didn't use it. I said I'm not gonna use that old garbage. Like I have a laptop like what the fuck would I use that for? And I said I just wasted my money and you know and uh so, so but maybe you know sometimes that you buy it for a reason that you don't know and uh -huh. and it fits it, it works perfectly because it's hard to put toe tags in, in, in a, in a printer, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe someone will, some Gothic person, like technology right. person will design a printer for toe tags only. But so I said, Oh, I, I could use the typewriter. They roll right in there. You know, uh -huh. sometimes the, string, <laughs> the string gets caught in there, but, but it's pretty easy. And, it looks it looks good because they're thick and and you can really punch the keys and it won't go right through the paper you know it's uh -huh. like a couple of times i typed on regular paper and this i guess i was punching the keys hard and it just drilled holes right through the paper <laughs> so the toe tags can uh, uh you know take the 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 force of those of those uh levers in there so uh-huh Oh wait, so what let's uh you I, I found this poem I was dying to read. I, I, I had forgotten about it and I I said I'm gonna find stuff that is gonna make maybe make Marsha laugh. <laughs> 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 that, that, I, I don't know, it was a challenge for me, but I think <laughs> I think I found a bunch of things, you know. Uh, this is this is a poem uh I don't think I ever read this out loud or it was in a I forget where it was. It was in a magazine uh, once, but it's called Dead, The Dead Fish in the Dash. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> we were always playing jokes on our goofy cousin, Jerry Boy. This time he had opened up, we, this time we had opened up his dashboard and put a dead fish in there and then closed it back up. A day later, we were driving around and he asked Rip and I, if we smelled something, no, Jerry boy, I don't smell anything, Rip said. Me neither, I said. Jerry boy rolled down the window. Two days later, the smell got worse. It was the end of May. Rip and I were with him on this long road out east. Rip, you don't smell that, he asked. No, Jerry boy, he said. What about you? No, I said. A tear rolled down Jerry boy's cheek like the American Indian in that commercial who cried because someone littered on his land. He slammed on the brakes. The car skidded. He started screaming. Cock-sucking smell. He pulled into a closed gas station. <laughs> he pulled into a closed gas station and made us get out. And then he ripped the back seat out. It lay on the pavement upside down with its coils showing. Jerry boy huffing kicked the seat. Motherfucker, he yelled. Rip and I stood watching, trying to hold it in. We didn't see Jerry Boy again until the weekend. We were attending the wake of a close, very close uncle. 
who had just died of a heart attack. I went out to smoke a cigarette behind the funeral parlor. When I saw something, I walked farther out and saw Jerry Boy with all four doors open and the trunk and hood as well. He was prying the dashboard dashboard apart <laughs> with a large hammer. I know it's behind the mother bitching steering wheel. Jerry was Ahab. I walked back into the wake to tell Rip he was on line to kneel in front of her dead uncle's body. I whispered to him and, and we quietly walked out to the back of the lot. The dashboard was pried open. Parts of it lay on the front seat. Jerry Boy was standing there holding a perfectly preserved fish skeleton <laughs> between his thumb and forefinger. I found it, you fuckers. I found it. <laughs> Gust of wind through the through a gust of wind blew through the funeral parlor's parking lot through the orifices of the ransacked car, but that stink, that stink wasn't going nowhere soon. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess I did. I I accomplished my mission. Yes, you did. <laughs> I love stories like that. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> I was hoping that, it, you know, because one time I, I thought I read stuff that was kind of positive and that that's <laughs> positive. And I, I said, well, that's as positive as I <laughs> And then yeah. I... Then Yanni, Yanni emailed me and he said, that was the best line. That's as positive as I get. <laughs> so I guess I was kind of like not looking at objectively. And I, this is positive. <laughs> and, and Wolfgang had told me, well, yeah, you got the lighter side of Rob. I'm like, you're kidding me, man. <laughs> so, but I, 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 I don't know. Now I've been, I, I was on a mission. So I said, it's December first, and I'm gonna make. If it kills me, I'm gonna make a laugh on air, <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully everybody else. <laughs> it might well, be because I I also fell asleep in my. I was trying to cheer myself up, and I bought this Bob Ross T-shirt, and it's. <laughs> it says there are uh, no mistakes, just happy accidents, and it. Last night I fell asleep in it, and I'm wearing this old <laughs> left on Bob Ross T-shirt. So that might help the energy. Yeah, oh, there I, you I, go. I want to. I want to just read this one more. It's 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 uh it's actually a a, a very very short story that Wolf published in uh, the Epic Rights Journal issue one, and uh, I think you and then we'll go back to talking after. It's cool. <laughs> And hopefully this will make you uh, laugh too. It's called Western Night. Um, I was in a bar in a Manhattan. I was in Manhattan at a bar called Smalls, and then someone and then somehow wound up in Brooklyn. It was two fifty-five a.m. I needed a fucking drink bad, even though I was drunk. I considered it to be late Saturday night, but it was actually Sunday morning. There was a law in New York called the Blue Law that forbid the sale of alcohol between 3 a.m. and 12 p.m. on Sunday. It was a cruel fucking law to deny someone a drink while they're in the abyss of a Sunday morning. 
the blackest bracket of time in my book. Sunday morning when everyone else is sleeping and later eating breakfast together in bright yellow kitchens, drinking tall glasses of orange juice and then soberly celebrating the Lord in one of the many houses of God. I was praying I would find a bodega before three, or at least one that didn't comply with the strictures of society, an outlaw deli that would take my money and hand me over a six-pack. It was a little before three, according to my cell phone, when I slowly maneuvered my tired feet into the small, brightly lit Korean-owned deli. The lighting was inhumanly inhumanly bright. It lit up up the racks of shiny packages of cookies and chips. I got to the beverage section and grabbed the six-pack of Corona. The bottles made me perk up. There were long-necked vials of fucking holy water in my throat. (laughs) The old Korean man and what looked like his wife allowed me to bring it up all the way up and place it on the counter and take my wallet out before he yelled, look, and pointed to the clock on the wall. I looked. The big, the fucking big hand had betrayed me. It was a little (laughs) three. It was 302. Come on, the place is deserted. I'm no cop. I said, look, he yelled again and pointed at the clock. Don't ring it up. Just take the money, I said. Will you support my wife and children, he yelled. I was, <laughs> oh. I, was, I was confused for a moment. Then I understood he was afraid to lose his liquor license or, or about to get arrested. I'll pay you $20 for the beer. It's only seven ninety nine. I persuaded, ignoring his side of the story. You will take care of my wife and children, he said. <laughs> oh. I just want my beer, I said. He looked at his wife, then me. He was silent for a few seconds, looking looking me up and down. Okay, I ring you up, he yelled. A huge wave of relief rolled through me. I had broken him. It was easy. He started hitting the keys. It was an old register, the kind where the numbers flip up, like there are small female models holding up numbered cards above their heads. He hit the button. The bell rang. The register read $10,000. You pay now. <laughs> and stuck out his small wrinkled hand. 10,000, he yelled. I started laughing. He looked dead fucking serious. You know how? He said loudly. No, I laughed. He looked at his wife. She looked back at him with a tiny smirk. He looked at me. Okay, now I really ring you up, he yelled. He punched the keys again. The numbers flipped. This time, the register read $1 million. You pay now. $1 million. He started laughing hard now. He was serious. You have, you know have? No beer then. Oh. Okay, you win. Okay, you win, I said laughing. Actually, I actually like the guy. He looked at me. His eyes looked straight into mine. Fuck America, he yelled. <laughs> air with his middle finger fuck america he yelled again his wife was silent he looked at me he looked into my eyes i was laughing hard you are great i said to him i reached across and offered my hand he shook it without hesitation then he smiled at me, a, a wise little grin have a good night i said i waved as i pushed the door open the bells tied to it jangling and i walked out into the cold and found another 
smaller place open about seven doors down. There was another man with a woman working the counter. They were younger. I walked up with the beer and they sold me it without any sound. I nodded and walked out into the dark. Fuck God, too, I thought to myself and laughed. Then with my six pack in my belly slightly sore from laughing, I wandered out into the <laughs> I wandered out into the remains of the Western night. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was being punked or something. <laughs> it seemed like I was being set up in film, but the guy was really, uh, you know, he made like this, it was like a scene from a movie, I guess. Like yeah. a little... <laughs> That's great. Is that a poem that's published someplace? <laughs> uh, actually, it was a. I think I started it off as a, as a poem, but it worked better as a, a, sh a very short story. So, uh -huh. uh, Wolf put published it in the first issue of the Epic Rights Journal. Oh, yeah, you said that. Okay. Yeah, and uh, that's where that came from. I I had <laughs> written it way before. I think it was a few years before that, but. Um, I had held on to it, and uh, and and I think I sent it to him when he said, "Do you have any pieces that would fit?" You know, then. So cool. The mission is going well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you're very successful. <laughs> I want you to talk about what we were talking about before we went on air related to poetry and pit bulls and you know a little bit about achilles who knows oh yeah yeah i there's a place by me uh they moved even closer which was uh, i was nervous there it, it was a it's a pit bull rescue place that was about 15 or 20 minutes away and and then i was going there and walking them and you, you know uh there are these dogs that were either in dog fighting rings or bait dogs or abandoned dogs or, you know, um, dogs that were somehow wandering around the woods and, and had no uh, home. And um, I, I was going there and then uh, for a while, about two years, and then I heard they were moving and I got really depressed. I thought they were going to move far away, but they actually moved closer to me. So I, I, I don't always go because of my, you know, uh, of time, but mm -hmm. it's all volunteer and, um, uh, it's a, it's, it's, you learn a lot from the dogs because, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I tend to be someone that I, I guess it's hard. Like it's, the dogs are, you know, they went through these horror stories, you know, each one of them in some way lived a horror story and they're so forgiving, you know, and you, they don't, they don't lash out at you or they don't, you know, they just have this forgiving nature and they're so grateful when somebody takes them for a walk or, you know, the guys there that they work there, some of them, I was there the other day and the guy, I saw one of the dogs when I read. It came back with one of them. Uh, it just, it, it, I thought it, it, the dog liked me, and then it saw it, he, it, it, the dog saw the guy that had handed me the leash, and it went running into his arms, and he said, 
oh, don't feel bad. I work here 72 hours a week, you know, so they, uh-huh. I have a bond with them. So the, the, they, the people that work there, I think get, I, I think some of them get paid, but they, they don't get paid a lot and they work yeah. crazy hours, like 72 hours a week there yeah. just because they love to do that. So, um, I saw that, you know, the dedication of humans and, and the way they treat the dogs uh-huh. must reflect back on the dogs too, you know, because they, uh, they're so forgiving, like they were tortured and mutilated. And, you know, there's so many of them with scar, like that, that little piece I wrote about Achilles, they, they have uh, scarred bodies and mutilated parts to, you know like his eye and you know and they still will lick your face and your hands and roll around and yeah. uh, if it was a human I, i'm not sure if they would be so trusting you know of uh-huh. of, of uh, other humans and i mean they're dogs and they're trusting humans you know that which is oh, so it, amazing considering it's humans who've been torturing them, basically. Oh. Yeah, yeah, that's what I, that's what, how, you know, the, that's what I was thinking, like, they, they, um, they still have this thing in them that is just, it, it, it wants to just, they just want to run in the grass, and they want affection from humans, even though they, you know, some of them were shot in the back for no yeah. uh, and some of them had bullets in their spines some of them were lit on fire by oh, people gosh. For oh, God. it's just like a lot of things that you know that you would think the dog would be eternally forever scarred and and yeah. hate people but they they don't so oh maybe I... i'll read that little piece quick uh yes that'd be great did Achilles at the Pitbull rescue quarters where I volunteer, they lead this ferocious looking dog out and hand me the leash. He has furless scars all over his body and one eye is sunken and frozen in its socket. As we walk away from the place, he keeps turning his large square head and gazing up at me with that bloodshot eye for a second. I think he's going to get his revenge on humans, but instead he suddenly starts licking my arm. And when we reach a large grassy patch, he drops and rolls over in the sun and lets me rub his belly, scars and all. Uh, that's, that's that little piece. Of, that's that so I, beautiful. Yeah. Oh, thank you. If I, if I don't make you laugh, I'll, I'll make you, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever you felt. Like. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one is so touching to me it's so such a beautiful story of trust and love you know and and it's both ways you know yeah I, I got along obviously... with them at some point and i wasn't sure you know they only yeah they only get them in a week and they have a trainer supposedly that okays that they're okay to walk uh with with volunteers and but you mm-hmm. never know sometimes they you know the way they look at you and you know maybe mm-hmm. it's my judgment too you know worrying because i don't trust people or you know you know mostly so uh, maybe i was just a little nervous i said oh my god he he i mean he looks like he could rip my head off you know yeah well he could <laughs> yeah 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 so, uh 
but he he just he did the total opposite and uh, i mm-hmm. i um and and uh it, it they they are like teachers you know for humans uh to i wish i could be as forgiving as him i tend to hold grudges and <laughs> and mm-hmm. and and feel like uh you know let 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 previous pain you know hold you back from mm-hmm. giving you know or trusting and i think we owe it to our listeners today um to share some other things that you're doing because oh, there uh, is a reason that that i put a little announcement of the show coming yeah the letter p before we had poetry <laughs> uh pitbull now we're gonna get to the third p besides my name uh, 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 yeah uh, the other day i was i actually you know something recently things have been happening when i was at, at my lowest like something happens and i'm not used to that so it feels almost painful there's another p but um i was wandering around and in the cold and 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 I heard that noise when you get an email on your phone and I looked down and I thought it was going to be some kind of, you know, someone telling me I won the fucking lotto in some other country somewhere, you know, (laughs) get those those ones where people are trying to rip you off. But then I looked down and it was PEN, it's capital P-E-N, and it's, they accepted me into the the prison writing mentor program so i'll be uh, corresponding uh through them to prisoners in different places in the country that who are writing or Uh writers and will have a correspondence where i i give them advice about their their whatever they're writing and you, you keep that on for a couple of times you know keep doing that and you could you don't have to do it, I think, uh, more than a few times. But but if you want to, you can keep up the correspondence. And uh-huh. uh, it's exciting to do, I think, because it, it feels yeah. good to help people that are trapped in cages, you know. And, you know, I, I know maybe some of them have done things that are that are wrong, but, but they're still trapped in cages and, you know, and yeah. they're suffering. And maybe some of them are, you know... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. Some of them might be in there for something. Maybe, maybe that. Who knows? You know, I, I don't. I'm yeah. trying not to judge anybody. You know that. Yeah. So, I, so it's um, it's hard. Yeah, there's so many so many things, and as you know, I have a dear friend who's in a jail in Kansas City. Oh and yeah. For him, that's started with being really suicidal and making some bad choices with drugs and things in desperation and you know about pain it wasn't about trying to hurt anybody yes sometimes that that leads you to a bad place and uh and you're you didn't mean to get there and you know so the writing thing is so cool because it seems so obvious that by giving people tools to express themselves, you know, whatever kind of art, writing or painting or drawing or whatever, but 
at least in, in my friend Tegan's case, the only thing he gets to use is a golf pencil. <laughs> so he's kind of limited in the art he can create. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, it, it being able to express things is going to help us be able to manage our behaviors better too, you know? So if, if we really have any compassion for people and are trying, you know, that, that if there's any theory that's being, you know, actual reality of we want people to have some ways of making positive change while they're incarcerated. I mean, the writing program is a wonderful way to do that. One of the ways that's going to be really important for people. Yeah, yeah. that's that, that's definitely uh, what I was thinking when I when I went to, uh, you know, uh, I approached them to to uh, see about uh, joining. Uh-huh. And it's uh, it's voluntary, so you know it's volunteer. So it's a uh, it's the 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 place needs people. You know they they can't afford to I guess you know uh, pay people to do it. So they 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 rely on volunteers and it's just like the pit bull rescue. You know the uh-huh. but they they they're both doing really great work and it's uh, I felt like I wanted to give back in some way because this whole past uh, two years seems like a big mess for you know the whole world and yeah country you know so i i do things and you know with things i connect with i try to give back in in that in those ways yeah yeah and i know that we need to have poetry from you so I'm going to say, how about that poetic interlude? Oh yeah, sure. Do you want to hear another one? Yeah. Oh yeah, this one. This one, I think. Uh, this one, I, I. It explains myself completely. I think uh, it's called. I don't think I ever read this one ever. I, I might have read it a long time ago, uh, or. It's called the Cuff of Doom, but it's not what you think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sitting on the ledge of the doctor's table, fidgeting the new white patient's paper cover crinkling beneath my jeans, the doctor finally comes in to take my blood pressure. She pumps the black ball, the cuff tightening around the sweaty hinge of my arm. Her face gets serious. Is it bad, I ask? After she deflates her cuff of doom, it's it's elevated, she says. Are you nervous, she asks. I feel my heart in my throat, I say. I haven't been in, in been here in 10 years, I add. Okay, I'll, I'll go check on someone else and I'll be back in 10 minutes to take another reading, she says. Think calm thoughts, she says. Then she closes the door to the horrible little pink room. <laughs> My pulse slowly, uh, my pulse slows down finally as I stare at a jar of cotton balls and I allow my mind to drift back 25 years ago to my two favorite cousins, Petey Boy and Benny, the way they used to bring us smaller kids out on the lawn at dusk in the summertime, how they, how they um, set us up in a semicircle of, of old wooden folding chairs how we'd sit on our legs waiting, the two of them facing us in the center, fireflies flashing in the air around us, and 
and the steady repetition of crickets. And then they'd start retelling their favorite Twilight Zone episodes. They'd team tell each tale, trading off details and dialogue. I remember I'd forget everything else about school the next day. My friends, my father and mother, I'd lean on the edge of my chair waiting for the next scene to unfold. My favorite episode was was the one about the camera that took pictures of the future. My cousins would love to watch our faces as they retold the mysterious twist of the last scene. That's why we do it, Benny, Petey Boy would say, pointing at my wide-eyed face with my knees pulled up to my chin. <laughs> for, expressions, for expressions like that, he'd laugh. Then after that, Benny would play the guitar and they'd harmonize Beatles songs, moving from one song into another in the thick summertime night. Even back then, my favorite was Yesterday. Then after, after I always felt sad and quiet in the shadowy back seat on the long drive home, like I had left something behind. And then the door swings open. Once again, the doctor pumps up the cuff of doom, and we wait. We both wait. I keep looking at her face, her mouth scrunches up to one side like she's almost disappointed at the drop. You were just anxious, she says. It's a lot better than the first reading, she says. But I'd like to keep an eye on it, she adds, as the cuff of doom shrinks back. Defeat. <laughs> uh, yeah, as the cuff of doom shrinks back, defeated. So, <laughs> so I beat that fucking <laughs> cuff of doom. <laughs> I won't let the cuff of doom, especially if I'm paying for it. <laughs> I didn't have health insurance. I'm paying for her to pump yeah. her doom up <laughs> to go on medication. <laughs> so you so, said I that. think that's called. Uh, I did have high blood pressure, and I did change my lifestyle, and it went down. But the but they there is something called white coat syndrome too. That you know yeah. doctors make you so nervous when you go in there. You know, yeah. and they're they, they, they make your blood pressure higher than it, it would be if you were just sitting at home, you know, or. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, at the time it was a little high, but it was much higher because of her. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, but, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, when it's true, when you, I, I didn't know what to think about. And then all of a sudden I let my mind wander and, um, and I thought about about those times and it really, you know, so maybe it's true with anything. Like when you're feeling bad, you have to try to meditate on times that, you know, if they're not recent, you know, if you're not experiencing recent, you know, recent things that would help you calm down. You have to think about at least think about memories that you, you once had that, you know, where you felt whole and innocent and 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 pure you know that's what i felt when i thought about those being out there listening to them and do we owe our listeners a few more peas of rob plath i'm sitting here looking at something that you gave me oh, one of oh. your art talents yeah what is that this lovely painting <laughs> oh a bow yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I'm, I'm so glad you like that. I love it. Yeah. So, oh, so yeah, you... that's right. Painting. Uh, I, yeah. I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> I forgot about the, the other P. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's something that, um, that I started doing about five years ago. And, uh, it's, it's, most of the things I do are, are so much different than my, than, you know, than the poetry that I write. That yes. It's such a good feeling to have some kind of way of, you know, because I don't know what writing you tend to stick at least to, well, today I was reading different things, but, but you kind of stick to the same thing, you know, write the same poem over and over again in one way or another. And in the paintings, I can do something that I'd never do in writing. Or maybe mm. the paintings will teach me to write in, you know, that way eventually. Mm -hmm. um, but, but uh, yeah, I've been doing that, and I draw. Uh, it gets me out of myself because I draw, I paint, or draw a lot of animals, and um, a lot of them. Uh, I don't know. I I feel so. I feel different when I'm drawing, you know, painting an animal than I do when I'm writing a, a, a poem, there's something really different about it. There's color in it, you know, and yeah. I guess you can have that in writing, but th these are like real colors right in front of your face that you can play around with and yeah. mix. And, um, and then there's that animal energy. Every time I, a lot of times I, I hear or see things that happen to animals uh, at, at the hands of humans. And I try to make up for it by, you know whether the animal is gone you know passed on or abused i try to you know um uh, conjure the energy of the animal and, and give back to you know to that to that by painting oh, painting painting the animal so yeah so poetry and painting and also photography right i mean you yeah, you share some five years too uh, i uh -huh. And it started off um, just playing around, and then uh, I really opened up more when I, I used to visit this little uh, animal preserve that's near my house. And I got actually, I, I think I improved by sitting there. Uh, uh, sometimes there were no people around, and I was able to really get concentrate and take careful photographs of the animals that they're they're all rescued there's um eagles that were run over by cars you know or hit by cars not run over and there's hawks that were shot at and foxes and wow. um, deer and uh every every animal is there because of some kind of human thing that was put on them you know and um so I was taking these photographs and I, I, I don't know, I, I, I think I learned the craft, you know, I improved in the craft of photography by just sitting there and taking these photos of these animals that I was intrigued by, you know, and, um, and I wanted to capture. And there was one, uh, recently I went back, I, I didn't bring my regular camera. I had my phone only because I, I just, I, I don't know, I wound up going at the last minute without the camera, but it was, there was this um, wolf there, and, and she's so sweet. She was this big wolf, but she was rolling around with her toys, and 
I looked and I, I said, why is she here? And it wound up that she was um, a pet and uh, you're not supposed to have, uh, you know, a, a pet as a wolf. And yeah. when they took the wolf away from the people, um, now she's not allowed back and she can't survive in the wild because she was domesticated. So yeah. now she's got to live alone, you know. I mean, oh. she has caretakers, but she mostly lives, you know, she she's a pack animal and oh. now she has to live in this enclosure you know and and people are when i went um i mean i was looking at her too but the you know there were all these people gawking at her and she looked anxious and then she'd start rolling around and playing with these toys they gave her and um i was trying to take photographs and i i felt bad i felt so bad that um you know they didn't really abuse her but they thought of her you know people think of that they, they think of wild animals as like a possession, I guess. Yeah. It's just, it's just, um, uh, it's just, you know, it made her have to live alone now in this place and she's safe, but she's, you know, I, I saw her face and she looked scared when all, you know, there were a lot of people pointing, yeah. calling yeah. her and, you know, and so she's a beautiful white wolf. Um, um, so you, you have a lot of, art of different kinds that you're creating which i think is very cool and and i want to give uh, people a, a reminder especially people who didn't already know you you've got a great website robplath.com and you have you have the most clear information about your books of anybody uh-huh. <laughs> that i think i've ever talked to it's like you look go to the book tab and you can go book 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 this is what it is this is where you it was published. just click on it and <laughs> I it's have great. the link right to Amazon, so that <clears throat> it's. And, uh, and I have to thank Wolf for that because he was the one that helped me, you know, helped set that up, and then I yeah. took it over eventually. But um, again, and most of your books are from Epic Rights Press, which is uh, really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ones that, the, all the ones there, there was a, the ones I mentioned earlier when I had these short chat books in the beginning. Uh-huh. There, a lot of them are out of print, I think, and um, but he wound up uh, taking some of the, you know, um, some of the material and mixing it in other books, and so mm-hmm. some of it's out there again, but not the actual book. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but. and I want to point out because I love this. One of your books is a book of writing prompts, an Axe for Frozen Sea, and it's such a great book, and it's a oh. book that I have shared exercises from that book with people who I work with in my social work with people who have different kinds of you know a lot of them are dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety some are dealing with loss or different things but it's like god there's such wonderful prompts and I think that's that's a kind of another side of you it, it it certainly relates to the volunteering with the writing program the pen program for prisoners I think that's so cool and so I, I want people to look and, and get a sense of the variety of things. And and this this show so far truly has been the lighter side of Rob Plath. And that's not all there is, folks. So you you might want to explore to get a sense of the richness of Rob's work. And so I want to have us spend the last, you know, 10 minutes or whatever we have, eight minutes, with, with some more of your poetry for people to hear more sure. Rob Plath. Yeah, I have. Uh, um, I was looking for what I needed to read. Uh, oh, yeah, I wanted to read. Uh, this is another one that I 
don't I haven't really shared. Uh, it's called The Master of All Masters. Um, it's another narrative poem. Uh, it's Saturday morning and three bosses' offices need to be spackled by 12 noon. So this spackler, a guy about 50 years old, arrives at 8 a.m. in a black tuxedo smelling a whiskey. He drives from Manhattan. He just drives from Manhattan after a night of drinking at his brother's wedding. Now he was get now he is getting his work things in order. Mike and I nudge one another, smirking, and I whisper, Look at him, he's still drunk. No way he's gonna get even half of this job done. The spackler takes off the tuxedo jacket and tosses it across a stool. Are you aren't you going to change? I ask. No, he says. You're going to get that shit all over you, Mike says. He turns to us both and says with the self-assurance of Picasso and the conviction of Patton, you're looking at the master of all masters. <laughs> Mike, Mike and I stand with our arms crossed and watch him, thinking how the bosses will re ream this poor fuck's ass out on Monday morning. But in loosened bow tie and his shirt sleeves rolled up, he slaps bucket after bucket onto the walls and ceilings, up and down 10-foot ladders and black wingtip shoes, in and out of three rooms at a crazed pace of one room an hour, his wrists madly swiveling, his arms madly sweeping, never getting a speck on him. Mike and I stare in amazement at the shiny wet coat on the last wall while the master in his cummerbund raises his spatula triumphantly like a short sword. That's great. <laughs> yeah, I thought I, it was just a funny story from the past. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so it reminded me of of uh, the wolf from Pulp Fiction, the Harvey Keitel. <laughs> ah, you know, like he was able to do this whole thing, you know, and it was different, but at the same time, you know, you think this person's, you know, can accomplish this this task. The, you know, overwhelming task, and then all of a sudden they're like, uh, you know, like uh, it's they're they're victorious. You know, even if you know, even though they're they seem like they're not going to be able to do that. You know? mm -hmm. I was trying to find the. Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, I think these are them. I, I was trying to find the Patty Smith poem for you. Oh yeah. Now I, I I don't know what I did with it. I had it out before. It was around. Maybe it. Oh, here it is. Okay. Yeah. I left it on the on the sink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one is. is it, of course, this is a request <laughs> uh, from Yanni. Uh, Patty Smith wouldn't write me a poem about shit. <laughs> I asked. I asked Patty Smith to write me a poem about taking a healthy shit. I have no time, she said. So I flashed her my holy abyss tattoo. She said, that's cool, but I still don't, but, but still didn't write me a, a poem about taking a healthy shit. I was sad on the subway. Damn her, I thought, <laughs> as the car screeched through the dark tunnel. I'll write a fucking poem about Patty Smith not writing me a poem about taking a healthy shit then. I was happy I decided on it. In fact, I was psyched and I was far from constipated. <laughs> And Yana, that was for you. <laughs> and here, here's That's one I, I, I don't think I, oh, thank you. Uh, uh, here's one I, I haven't read ever, I think. 
uh, it's called leaping. I remember playing basketball during summer vacations in different backyards on my block and the ball always going over someone's fence. Back then, we thought nothing of hopping into a stranger's backyard. Sometimes it rolled across someone's patio all the way up to the sliding glass door. We couldn't bother looking in or noticing our own reflections. We'd just heave the ball back over and go back to our game. If there was a dog, they'd run up and sniff us, wag their tails. We had nothing to hide then, hitting a home run, running the makeshift bases, then perched up on the fence, ready to leap down into an unfamiliar yard. Never more careless were we then. Uh, uh, do we have time or I don't? I don't yeah, know. go ahead. Okay. Oh, here's another one that just happened. This is a new one. It's called Raymond Carver in the parking lot. I had just put the grocery bags in the back seat and slipped the key into the steering column when I heard Leonard Nimoy's voice on the radio reading Raymond Carver's what we talk about when we talk about love. He was throwing curses in here and there, and I was frozen in my seat. I didn't care if anything melted in my bags. I just sat there listening to the two drunk couples discuss love. I reached back and took out blue, the blue corn chips and guacamole I was saving for a, a movie later. <laughs> I, loved, I loved the part when Mel, the cardiologist, tells the story about the old couple who got in an accident and who were in body casts and were mostly upset because they couldn't look at one another. I kept listening and eating the chips and guacamole until they were done, not leaving the parking lot until Nimoy got to those fucking beautiful last lines about the sound of all four hearts beating in the room. That's a touching poem. That's cool. And I, and I love that because I've had that experience of listening to something on the radio when I was in my car, and then like, oh man, I'm yeah. not gonna do this thing I was gonna do. I'm gonna wait till this piece is over. This is so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Later, I was like, the fucking guacamole's gone. I have to... <laughs> should I get more and eat twice as much, or should I just get rice cakes? Or <laughs> guacamole's yeah. one of your favorites, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's how about one more how about one more poem okay yeah I have one here uh, Great. this one is uh, to Charles Bukowski it's called Rattle I, I read a Bukowski letter where he said that he had six teeth extracted that same day one of them being a tough son of a bitch to pull poor Bukowski at 45 sitting at the rattling typewriter with six empty sockets like bullet holes screaming in his skull and tonight i imagine those half dozen busted teeth i imagine cupping them in my palms and listen. <laughs> i imagine <laughs> i imagine cupping them in my palms and listening to the click of, of chips of bone as i shake them together i feel terrible pain and wonderful luck tonight bukowski i feel the beautiful ancient roots in my hands wow there's something about teeth coming out, though, that just makes me, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just had a, a, I was in my late 
I'm in my late 40s and I had to have a, a wisdom tooth that had never come down pulled uh, like two years ago and I was horrified. <laughs> yeah. So we have included, of course, your name, Rob Plath, poetry, pain, pit bulls, photography, painting, pen, prison writing project. We've done pretty good with that piece stuff. And Patty Smith, of course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, P, 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 P. <laughs> it's a big stream. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect, Rob. <laughs> the big stream of P. <laughs> and so we have to, in this hour, folks, um, this has been the lighter side of Rob Plath. <laughs> And you can find a variety of sides of Rob Plath in lots of books. Check out Epic Rights Press for his new stuff. Check out his website. And you'll also, on the website, get to see some photos and some paintings. Get a sense of those things, too. And as always, I remind listeners, buy the books. It's such a great thing to have in print on the page this poem that you've heard somebody read or to know that by buying this book, you know, it, you're helping support this art that you really like. So, so don't be the cheapskate who just looks at stuff online, buy some books. <laughs> That's well said. <laughs> yeah. And Rob, thank you so much for joining me again. It's a delight always to talk to you, whether it's on air or off air. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, uh, I'm so glad that I was able to, show that side and uh and and have another show with you yeah that was great and and i want to thank daniel smith who produces another p produces the show <laughs> so people can hear it and we need to say goodbye to our listeners so long folks take care happy december <laughs> yes bye-bye